Hello, kia ora, and welcome to the Creative Matters podcast, where we have inspiring conversations with artists from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm your host, Mandy Yakich. Good morning and a very, very happy new year to you. Thank you very much for joining me and uh, I hope you have a fantastic year ahead. This is episode 103 and I'm speaking with Tanya McMillan, also known as Misery. Tanya is an Australian-born painter, sculptor, photographer and mural artist living in Tamaki Makaurau, Auckland. Her creative reach is extensive, ranging from highly crafted fine art paintings and wall art to animation and fashion. Tanya's work under the name Misery graces streets and galleries in Aotearoa, New Zealand and around the world. She has collaborated with New Zealand and international designers and brands such as Blunt, Casio Baby G, Telecom, Serato and Anna Sui of New York. In this episode, we hear about how Tanya entered the graffiti world as a teenager, how she connected with her graffiti crew TMD, and how her artist name Misery came about. Tanya talks about her collaborations with brands and gives some really great advice on how to get yourself out there and show the world what you do. Tanya dives deep into misery land and it is so good. She shares how the characters and worlds she creates develop and what or who they represent and why she often personifies plants and objects in her work. She tells a wonderful story about the making of her two bronze sculptures in Karanga Happy Road, which is in Auckland. We chat about how deadlines work for her a week in the life of misery, and how she juggles motherhood with her creative brain. It was so lovely to meet Tanya and uh, hear all about her incredible practice. And I know you're going to enjoy the very first episode of 2024. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. (laughs) It's so nice to see you. Thank you for having me here. It's just like absolute paradise. Oh, look, it's just paradise today. There's not a breath of air at Muruai. And uh, it's sunny and there's no humidity. No, it's perfect. There's uh, kingfishers flying around and sun is shining. Um, It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I've just found out that you did actually live in Muruai for a while growing up. I did. Yeah, um, so, well, I was born in Australia, in Queensland, in a little country town called Mirabra, which is sort of near um, Bundaberg, if you're familiar with ginger beer or rum. And um, then I grew up in Brisbane with my mum and my sister and my dad and our family till I was 12. And we had this quite um, hectic year where my grandmother who I was also very close to my mum's mum was sick with cancer so we had this quite wild year of um, all of her family from Tahiti coming over and us trying to look after her and um, it was a hectic time and after that year after she passed away my mum decided that 
we just all needed a break and she needed a life change and uh, my mum and dad split up and mum took us here to New Zealand to connect with our Kiwi family and basically have a holiday for a year. Um, but we ended up just being so connected to New Zealand and loving it here so much so we ended up staying and um, we lived in Takapuna or Belmont when we first got here and we were kind of like I felt very um, <laughs> sort of out of place there like beautiful place but I was still, still so young I felt like quite a baby and then getting lumped into Takapuna High School it was quite shocking. <laughs> mm, Takapuna Grammar yeah wow. Takapuna Grammar yeah it was a bit bit much for me um and I'd been out to Murawai with a friend I made there and I went home and I was like mum this place is like amazing and we had a sleepover at her friend's house out here so then we discovered Murawai and we came out here for some visits and my mum just absolutely fell in love with it so we ended up um buying a little batch on Domain Crescent it was the pink house back then Mm. we used to call it the pink palace um one of those classic um like pastel pink colored cuby sort of 50s batches gorgeous yeah so we moved here when i was about 14 and i had that house up until 2010 i think it was that's amazing so i never realized that here. yeah how yeah, beautiful it's got a, i've got a huge place in my heart for Muruai. it's mm. just very special yeah it's the kind of place that really gets under people's skin for some reason yes either that or they people just don't connect to it and I think so I think you know you come here and you have either a really deep connection and you know it's your place and that's um certainly how it is or was for us Yeah. yeah how beautiful and I did actually meet you, I don't know if you remember, but with Donna Hansen and Anna Hansen from the Murawai Arts yes. team. Yep. I met you when you were here on a mini residency for the Murawai Up Arts the show. Yeah. That was so beautiful. Yeah. What an amazing spot. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and you made some work to put in the show. Yes. Yeah, so that was a while ago, I think, probably eight years ago or something like that. Oh, yeah, Billy, my daughter Billy was a baby then, so it would have been. She's just, she turned eight in October, so Mm. about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first and only residency I've ever done. Really? And it was like a sort of <laughs> pretend residency it was in a way. A pretend residency slash wonderful holiday. Come and, with, come with and make and some work. It was great. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, it's, it's lovely to reconnect and um, yeah, a very big warm welcome to the Creative Matters podcast and thank you thank so much you. for coming out. Thank you for having me. So yeah, your mum was a creative or is a creative person, and your great-grandmother was amazing with her work that she did with the Auckland Civic Theatre, is that right? Um, yeah, so my my mother's grandmother on yeah, her father's mum, oh, right. um, she was an incredible artist, and she did a lot of commercial art that was sort of her career when she was around. Um, so she did, I think she did things like the Choice of Tea label and um, stuff that I really remember is her beautiful illustrations for the Civic Theatre. There's one that my grandfather's got and it's sort of, it must be for a ballet or something and it's sort of got these, the classic Civic velvety curtains and then all these characters, ballerinas and things in costumes all kind of floating down and I just remember seeing that when I was a little kid and it always sort of stuck in my mind. Mm. Um, but yeah, she was a phenomenal artist and very good at watercolours and 
Um, I think my mum spent quite a bit of time with her in Titarangi when she was growing up and I think she definitely inspired or sparked mum's creative drive as well. Mm. Yeah, they have lots of beautiful memories together. That's really special, isn't it? It is. It's lovely for generations to pass things down like that. It's so important, yeah. And you would have gained a lot from that as well. Yeah, I didn't really know Grandma like super well because she was always in New Zealand and um, we were in Australia and then she was probably only alive for a little bit longer when we got here. But yeah, absolutely. Like we always felt sort of quite fantastical of – thinking of her over here she always seemed quite proper and had that sort of English accent like a little bit posh so I used to think of her as being this sort of she's quite tall striking woman and very strong um out there with her watercolors and charcoal and she was a horse rider lady yeah very strong personality Mm, that's really cool so how did you discover your passion for drawing and um creating as a child um, well, I think that from just from being around my family, like that was always sort of a given that um, my mum and also her mother, my meme, were very creative and all painters and mum uh, has always sewn and made crafts and costumes and things like that. So it was always sort of around. But when I was um, little, I was always quite a very shy um introverted like happy and peaceful but quite introverted kid and always felt a bit anxious and awkward around other children in some way so um making art and drawing I just always felt very comfortable and that was like my happy place and um my way to express myself so I'd I'd always done it and it was always around us growing up so it was just sort of a no-brainer that that's what I'd do Mm. but when I started primary school um, and we'd do like art class competitions and things like that, and I would often win. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm actually okay at this, you know. So it, I think that helped me, I don't know, just gave me a little bit of direction or gave me confidence in doing it. And, um, yeah, I've just always loved making things, mm. not just drawings, like just anything, Play-Doh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like kids craft, even now that I've got little daughters, like going back to making stuff that you do when you're a child is just so freeing and mm. liberating and fun. And the best ideas come out of that sometimes. Yeah. And allowing yourself to play. Yeah. And to play. Yeah. Mm. So it's just always been a huge part of my life. And I always knew when I was younger that when I'd become an adult, I would do something creative, like be an artist or was quite interested in fashion or photography or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So That's I guess cool. like I kind of became more serious about it when we moved to New Zealand and I was having a miserable time at Takapuna Grammar <laughs> and we were living out here um, and mum found Auckland Metropolitan College, which was the alternative high school in Mount Eden. Um and this is a small school, 120 kids, and you just do your core subjects. And then if there's specific things that you're into, you can um, kind of excel or study those a little more. So that was just wonderful for me because I pretty much just lived in the art room 24-7 um, and met a whole lot of other people that were, I guess, a little bit more similar mm. to how I exist in the world. Yeah. Yeah, so it was really nice and refreshing and um 
just so cool to be around other really creative kids that were so extremely driven <laughs> to mm. do their thing. Yeah, that must have been so motivating. It was. And to have a school like that, I mean, I really just feel like schools need to make some sort of shift. Like they've been stuck in mud for the last sort of 50 years mm-hmm. with hardly any changes, high schools especially. And to me, that's the way that education should be, giving children, you know, a bit more of a chance to self-direct. I think so. I also think like secondary school is a really strange space because you sort of go to primary. I didn't have intermediate in Australia, but we just did primary up until high school. But you kind of like get nurtured and um, looked after and a little, not babied, but, you know, you're very loved at primary school and um, pushed in a beautiful, positive way. And then high school's sort of like you're in trouble all the time mm. and you're bad, you know, we're the authority figures and you've yes. got to be below us. And then when you go to university, it's completely different. So I feel like a little bit sad for high school students because it is a strange space. Mm. You're already going through so much figuring out who you are and all your wild hormones changing anyway. Exactly. Um, it's such a strange thing, isn't it? It yeah. is, but, but I totally agree with you. I think there needs to be a massive shift mm, hopefully there will be at some stage yeah but um, one radical thing I've noticed is the art boards which I always thought was quite strange that they still had that sort of three boards for um NCEA mm-hmm. and I've just learned that they are now opening that up to be um to be entered as a digital portfolio yes and this um this digital sort of portfolio is not necessarily digital work it's just presenting oh, it. Oh, presenting it digitally. With digi- okay. Yeah. So okay, it can be paintings. <gasps> that is amazing. Whatever, but showing sort of, you know, you actually enter it as a digital portfolio, but not necessarily digital work. So just, yeah, to me, it opens up the potential for That's what huge, kids can be making. It? Yeah, which yeah. is good. That's a step in the right direction. Yes, not limited to a, a board. <laughs> yeah. That's so <laughs> Which is good. so restrictive, isn't it? Like actually having to make a size just purely because it fits. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Let's get back <laughs> to you. So Auckland Metropolitan College was obviously very instrumental in um, your sort of artistic career and mm. really helped you to meet your people. And uh, and then you've had such a long association with some of the friends that you made yeah. at college. Yes, it's funny to think that, you know, that was such a long time ago now, but there's a few people I met there that have been such important sort of role models and peers and have really, I suppose, helped um, direct my career or the way that I've gone with my artwork. Yeah, so um, it was through going to Metro that I met um, my friends that were into graffiti art, probably especially Elliot O'Donnell, who his graffiti name is Askew, um, and all of his friends. He was incredibly... <laughs> obsessed with graffiti art back then he still is um and just such a promoter of street art and graffiti and was always sort of on my case like come and paint these characters you're doing out on the street um I kind of really didn't know anything about that art scene but I found it very intriguing and um thought it was quite crazy and wild that people were like so obsessed with this art form and willing to like risk getting caught and you know going to 
to jail and <laughs> to, you know, getting chased by police dogs. So I was like, I'll just come out and, and watch and experience what you're all up to. But I loved it. It was so liberating and fun and free. And I think at that time, that was like 95, 96, um, there was lots of really raw tagging and bombing and sort of wrecking style of graffiti in Auckland. So it was very frowned upon and I would just go out and paint with a big bottle of Indian ink in my brush and do my characters and eventually I moved into spray paint. But I think that I've always felt most comfortable with a brush and ink. That's mm. that's me. Mm. But yeah, I had this sort of quite lovely response to what I was doing, I guess, because it was a little bit more feminine and cute and pleasant to look at and not so uh, – Scrawly and <laughs> aggressive. Yeah, not so, as offensive for certain parts of yeah, society. Yeah, that's right. So I was lucky in that respect that people seemed to like it and they started to recognise um, these characters with the name Misery, which is, I don't know, I thought that was funny too, but Elliot was like, you need to have a tag name and it should be Misery. Yeah, I remember we had like an argument once and we weren't friends for a few weeks and he decided he was taking the name back and he gave it to my younger sister. <laughs> really? <laughs> you can be misery. <laughs> oh, no. But it's all right. I got it back. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very, uh, yeah, it could be a problem. It could have been a problem. <laughs> Funny. And, uh, and the misery name, I mean, that is just, was that just part of that kind of graffiti art, street art, where you needed to have a name? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I guess graffiti is all about... Um, getting up and everyone seeing your name and you know and it started in New York in the late 70s 80s and it was all about getting your name up on a train or up high so the whole city could see it so of course it's Auckland's really different to New mm. York in the 80s but mm. that's the whole uh, thing with that form of art so and it's also about the letters so um, yeah Misery has quite cool letters to to draw or mm. paint and then you graffiti. put misery. You wrote misery next yeah, to each. Yeah, just sign it underneath. Yeah, so it's sort of it's it's an interesting idea, isn't it? That it's like a um, you are you are naming it as yours, but you're also trying to kind of stay undercover. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> so people could track you down potentially. So do, do you at that time? Do you actually kind of want to keep it quite a secret that you're not actually misery? Um, to to outsiders, to people that aren't in that art realm, then yes, you'd want to keep it a secret. <laughs> it's quite cool, isn't it? It just adds a whole other dimension. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. 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 So what happened after that? You sort of, you started working and, and it does feel a little bit, I don't know if this feels like an insult or a compliment for you, but it has that little bit of Banksy about it that you, it's sort of a, a black outline drawing that sort of appears and because Banksy sometimes his work's quite friendly too isn't it it's quite sort of cutesy and yeah and appealing maybe to children yeah that's so true so uh, yeah do you ever see yourself um, along those lines not really <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I think I get what you mean definitely where it's more yeah definitely appealing to a wider range of people and I think that, that my work has that probably and the um, graphicness of it especially the ink kind of work for sure yeah yeah and uh, where did you go from there did you I mean obviously that was something that you're doing while you're at high school how long did that continue and, and where did you 
Where did you go? Um, okay, so I started um, painting after doing all the characters and things and I got more involved in like um, painting murals and doing sort of bigger works on the wall with our graffiti crew and stuff. Um, so it's always just, I think, continued to be a part of what I do. But um, I think at that time I was sort of quite into taking photos and I thought that's what I would end up doing with my life. So um, when I – I actually studied at AUT when I left high school for a year and that was to do photography. But I kind of – it was the was it the certificate, like the first year of your – uh, visual arts degree but you, you kind of mm. do a, have a taster of everything mm. so I think I just sort of knew I wanted to take photos I kind of wanted to learn more practical skill and it was probably more like introducing us to um, conceptual ideas and how to talk about our work and building a process and I just wasn't interested at that time I was kind of like ah, I don't want to do this I'm just going to go work in my own studio and I was rebelled a little bit from that I did really enjoy it and I think that I would really love to go back and do that mm, later in life. Mm, now yeah. that I don't know. You'd have a whole different approach. And it's hard coming out of high school when you've it had all that hard. sort of schooly stuff going on. You're kind yeah. of ready for a break. That's so true. So I did that for a year, um, but it wasn't really what I was looking for. So I ended up going back to Australia and studying photography, just an intensive course for a year, which was great. And then through doing that, I'd also – become friends with um, Martin Emond, who is a comic artist, amazing comic artist here in Auckland. Um, and him and Steve Hodge had started Illicit Clothing. So uh, I was doing these little drawings. It was actually, I think I was staying with my auntie and she had Illustrator on her computer. So I was there for holidays. I mucked around in that and made these characters and that became the first T-shirt designs that I did with Illicit. And they kind of just took off. Um and that was quite nice, actually, that all happening here while I was in Australia. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, this is all <laughs> working quite well. And we did it. We started doing these illicit art group shows, which were really great. And it was sort of a mixture of, I guess, pop art, like comic art and some graffiti sort of stuff. And uh, that kind of Californian lowbrow art style, I suppose. So that was really nice for me. I felt like I fit into this genre of art quite well and it was nice meeting and interacting with people that were doing similar things or yeah. excited about similar kind of work because I always yeah. um, have felt sort of on the outside of the fine art world I suppose and maybe that's the kind of um, being raised in that sort of graffiti street kind of environment and just having to DIY everything it's like sort of deeply rooted in me I think mm. this kind of feeling of I guess it's a rebelliousness, rebelliousness kind of feeling, or just doing it your own way. Yeah, not not so mainstream. <clears throat> yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? How I mean, it's such a lovely community, isn't it? The street art graffiti community. Yeah, it seems really su super supportive. And it is now. It didn't used to be. Like oh, really? That. It used to be very like political, and nobody like very competitive and. No, nobody really liked each other, but now I think I think that's everywhere. I feel like people are starting to become more um, supportive of mm, each other and more and open. Be more open. Yeah, that's, I wonder why that's changed. I don't know. It's good. <laughs> but I'm happy about it. It's a good it's thing. Good. Yeah. So um, we keep going off off track. 
So I came back here, started working with Elicit, doing the art shows. Um, and then I guess I started doing the clothing with Elicit. So the Misery t-shirt range kind of went well and then we decided to do a whole Misery boutique clothing range, which um, was quite an incredible time. Like it really felt like everything was moving and fast forward and I suppose at that time I kind of just left the idea of doing photography. It just got pushed to the side and um, this whole thing with the clothes was taking off. Mm. Yeah, I think the characters had always been there. Like they were sort of similar to what I was doing through high school and it's interesting how they all change depending on what's going on in my life. So I've always done these characters, like always these little girls. And if you look at like my old books from when I'm a teenager, they're all very insecure and shy and really dark. Um, and then when I get to like the misery clothing kind of era, <laughs> they all become quite sexy and pin-uppy and um, super girly and a little bit more confident and sassy. And where, where are they now? <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know, it's really interesting to look at. Yeah, and I guess that's reflecting, it is a reflection of you, isn't it? Totally, yeah, it is. So, yeah, I did the clothing for a while and then that was just so fast-paced and I think I got a bit burnt out through that too. Um, but lots of great opportunities happened through doing that, lots of travel and um, being able to exhibit overseas through making the clothes and um, so I did all the artwork for the clothing and then we had a wonderful designer, Christine Leung, who would make the clothing. So we got collaborate to do that. So that was, I guess, from early 20s to when I was about 25, 26. And that was just super, like really taking off. Um, and that it allowed me to do a lot of travel and um, opened up a lot of opportunities overseas, which was incredible. Mm. I think in the end, I was just a little bit sort of burnt out by doing all the clothing and I had some trademark issues with our brand and that for me was just sort of the last straw. I was just like, I'm so over it, I'm done. And I guess in hindsight it was great because I'm probably just meant to be an artist and I've always deep down known that and I was feeling very um, torn about, I guess, just prioritising commercialism and putting all my energy into that space instead of creating and being an artist mm. so that was a, a bit of a wild time and I don't regret it I learned so much from what happened and it's helped shaped the way I go now so it's all been important and valid yeah, yeah part of the journey yeah yeah so you, you made that important decision which I guess was quite a pivotal moment in your career to become a full-time artist yeah um I think I've always struggled to be a full-time artist though but that was very much the pivotal point of like, no, this is not right. I still need to um, just give it a chance and be a be an artist. And I don't know what that is, but I've always had this thing where I feel like art is like this sort of precious thing and then I need to make money some other way on the side. So I think I've always felt like the need to do these other little commercial side businesses, but I really don't. Mm. <laughs> I think since having children um, – that's become very clear when your time becomes very limited um, and your window to create is not so carefree and massive anymore. Mm. You really um, have to just go with what feels completely true and right for you. Yeah. And were you concerned that you weren't going to be able to make 
enough money with your own practice at that stage? Yes. <laughs> and that's why you felt like you needed to hold on to so. the commercial. Defi- and, yeah, definitely a self-esteem and confidence thing, I think, as well. Like I always felt like, oh, I need to do these other things or have a manager or I need this other person to help me where I didn't. It was just a confidence thing, I believe. Um, yeah. And at that stage, was it difficult for you to kind of – figure out where you wanted to sit within the art world because you'd sort of been part of that graffiti community um, and then the more commercial community. Were you sort of, was it hard for you to kind of figure out which way you were heading or did you have a path in your head? I think I felt fine about it. I think that like from the success of the clothing and just from building the Misery brand, I suppose, for such a long time and um, it always sort of worked and I don't know how. I think it's just the energy you put into it. And if you believe it's going to work, it just sort of seems to ripple out mm. somehow. So I always sort of felt um, fine about that. I don't know what it is. I think it's just a general <laughs> artist's way of being, that very like tormented, torn, like can I do it, like total self-doubt and then absolute self-belief the next day. It's yeah. such a roller coaster. And the imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. It's just... Super annoying. <laughs> mm. But it's so great that you've built this brand really from when you were a teenager. Yeah, And you've just it kept is, building and it's, it's so been amazing. It, it is. And what I'm finding now is like um, people that were sort of teenagers around the time I was doing Missouri Boutique or, you know, at uni or something, they, they're all really connected with it. Now they're um, growing up and adults and they still want to commission work or they it still has such a huge place in their hearts, which is super lovely as well. They've sort of followed the journey with me. Mm. Yeah, it's really lovely. Yeah. And what was your artwork like at that time when you were focusing more on, on making art? Um, what was it like? I was very into, I guess, more storytelling after I kind of broke away from doing the clothing. So the characters always felt very solitary, just these solo characters with little bits and pieces around them and then when I kind of made that jump I think I just got more involved and I wanted to create these sort of worlds or environments so um yeah that's sort of what they became and the shows I was doing were like I'd like people to sort of enter the room and then feel like they were engulfed in what the painting would be so there'd be paintings on the wall but I'd always try and do some sort of crazy installation thing or incorporate um other artists like I remember this wonderful show we had in St Kevin's Arcade where the Alleluia Cafe used to be I used to do a lot of shows in there um, and we had an opera singer and a Chinese dragon dancer so I love it to feel very festive and like mm. this whole kind of experience not just like you're looking at art but kind of everything going on all at once yeah it's which, quite intense which fits so well with your work <laughs> yeah yeah, oh, gorgeous. And your your characterization is sometimes often woman, as you said, mm-hmm. um, but also you kind of personify things that are uh, <laughs> things like, how do we put it? You, you personify non-human things yes. to make them human. Yes, I do. Yeah, so um, can you talk about that? Yeah, totally. So I think that that probably comes a little bit from – um, my love of Asian art and Japanese art um, and probably watching lots of kind of Japanese cartoons growing up. But I've always just been such a nature baby and 
um, I feel like that really speaks to me and I love the idea of there's worlds within worlds so I think about oh you know there's a beautiful plant over there and what world might exist in there and I love the idea of them all having personalities and energies and um, that's quite fun to explore and when I make a painting I can just get completely carried away because all of a sudden I'm like transported to this place and sometimes it's frustrating to start and there's all those process challenges but when you get into a flow it's almost like the characters all just sort of take over and start talking to each other and it's like this beautiful symphony it's really I feel like at that point that I'm there making it but it's almost just coming through it's it's a completely different process and it's super lovely Mm. (laughs) it's what makes me want to do it yes what a gorgeous process it is yeah and then your artworks you know for the viewer I think the viewer experiences a similar thing like you're just kind of transported and taken away and into this beautiful oh, I hope so. world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of um I hear from a lot of people that know my work or have collected it that they will have a painting and they're like, Oh my god, I've just noticed this other thing in there or this funny little interaction that they hadn't spotted before. So yeah, that is really lovely. Mm. And do you ever think about a story to begin with or is it something that just evolves naturally as you work? Um no, it just evolves. Yeah. So it'll be a very loose theme, like I'm going to paint some plant people or (laughs) this one's going to be under the sea and then it will just all come together. Mm. But I'm feeling like a little bit at a a crossroads, but I'm in this funny space at the moment where I've been feeling deeply like this transition period in my work and I feel like I know what that's going to look like, but it's – a funny thing making the jump and I think I've been thinking a lot about residencies lately and how important that is for artists and I'm not sure how I do that with my two girls and my family but I think that's so important allowing that space and time Mm. just to not have the pressure of making a show or a commission and just to go deep and get wild and you know Mm. (laughs) make stuff that isn't what you'd ordinarily be making yeah see what else is in there yeah that sounds exciting are we allowed a sneak peek into what this might be well I feel like it's um maybe just less busy because the paintings I've been making for the last few years are very chaotic and turbulent and bright and um intense and I feel like they're going to change a lot from that and maybe going back to more solo sort of characters um and softer and experimenting with different paints and styles i've got my airbrush which is one of my earliest tools i used to use all the time and i haven't really touched that for like a decade so um bringing that back into it and experimenting with oils i don't know i just want to go sort of softer Mm. i don't know how it will look yet (laughs) it's just the feeling i have like i'm ready for the change and maybe bringing photos photography back in as well Mm which I haven't done for the longest time, or well, not in a professional sense. Mm. So it'd be interesting to just play and uh, see what happens. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I guess you will naturally just, you know, hold on to that sort of misery feel, which will keep collectors happy potentially. Or, yeah. Or are you feeling like I'm, you're just going to go right out there and, and leave <laughs> leave some of that behind? Know. It's so funny. At the moment, I'm working on some new pieces for the Auckland Art Fair. It's happening in April. And I just signed with Bergman Gallery at the end of 
um, last year. And my sister was like, I hope you're not going to like just show up at the art fair with all these strange abstracts. Like <laughs> Bergman Gallery might be a little bit like, shocked. Oh, <laughs> oops. It's not yeah. what we were expecting. Yes, now <laughs> that I'm a represented artist. <laughs> and that's exciting, isn't it? That's, that's, it is exciting. That's quite a big, time, a big moment for you. It's, a, it's such a huge change for me. And I felt when I was um, – Asked by Bergman Gallery, I was a little bit like, oh, really? Like, I'm not sure. I think it was almost this feeling of, like, I was so grateful and honoured to be asked, but also a little bit like, oh, no, I don't know if I can, if this is my space. And I've just been, I think I've just been doing it myself for such a long time. And I, I got a little bit thrown about how mm. it might be. But now that I've made that decision, it feels so right. Mm. And I've really... Um, realized all the beautiful opportunities that could come out of that yeah and also the pressures it takes away <laughs> from doing it all yourself mm. yeah so it'd be wonderful mm, that's I'm really exciting to working with them yeah and you that's in k road that gallery yes and you did have a group show there last year didn't you yes we had the um a place to call home group show which is all about um new zealand asian artists so I was lucky to be included in that for the very small percentage of Chinese um, heritage. Yeah, mm, that I have. beautiful and and lovely artists like um, Bev Moon. Bev Moon, yes, who I've just been... made the most exquisite work. She's I love so her fun. work. Yeah, she does like um, dumplings and sort of Asian cuisine often, isn't it? Um, yes, made. I think she does. Her art practice is all kinds of different things, but she's quite known for her crocheted Crochet. yum cha, yeah, her yeah. little knitted chicken feet. And oh, they're so <laughs> they're amazing. Absolutely amazing. I have actually had a – I've messaged her a few times about coming on the show. Oh, good. And I think she might like to at some point. Oh, she'd be wonderful Hopefully. to interview. Yeah. yeah, Bev, if you're listening. <laughs> We're still keen, <laughs> and uh, and I guess that was the sort of introduction to to the Bergman Gallery That's that right. group show, yeah. And then they came and asked, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's another couple of artists that show with Bergman. Ben and Raymond are both represented by Bergman, um, and they are both also in my graffiti crew, TMD. So that already felt um, sort of quite homely, you know, mm. knowing that they were there and they speak so highly of the gallery and being a part of that world. So that was definitely um, a good influence yeah. on my decision too. That's so brilliant. Yeah. It seems to be a great fit for you. Yeah, and I love that they're very sort of focused on Polynesian and Asian art as well. I think that's quite unique mm. for Auckland Gallery. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of your um, ancestry and your culture, you do – you are um, – Chinese of Chinese descent and Tahitian. Yeah. So uh, how does that come <laughs> into my, your Let's through my mum's side. So her her mum is half Tahitian, half Chinese, but born and raised in Tahiti. And same with my mum, born in Tahiti, raised a little bit there, a little bit in New Guinea. She's all from all over mm, the place. Wow. Um, so I guess we've always been very connected to our Tahitian heritage. Um, we felt more connected to that, obviously, because – Mimi was there and growing up she was a huge part of our lives like another mum I suppose for us and then we didn't really know very much about the Chinese part of the family until she'd passed and we started to connect with more family over there but it's funny because we've always been very drawn to um, Chinese medicine or I don't know Asian art and mm. this kind of 
aesthetic of it. It's always felt quite homely and mm. it's interesting, isn't it? Like when it's not a huge part of our lives, but we always felt quite drawn to that. Yeah, it's in your DNA, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. So it's been, it was funny to be asked to be included in, a, in the show to represent Asian art where I was like, oh, really? <laughs> like, I don't know if um, I'm worthy of it. But I think that I felt good about it because it is such an influence in my, in my own work. Mm. And um, I often take elements from Chinese or Japanese sort of cultural aesthetics so it's nice to mm. really make that connection and maybe that is why I do it because it feels sort of quite natural for me. Yeah and what are the actual elements in your work that you feel connect with your culture? Um, well I feel like through doing my painting that I'm trying to make some sort of like history or family connection to it all it's interesting so I guess the the characters firstly like that's such a if you go to anywhere in Asia there's always character art on all the packaging and mm. everything's very characterized yes, and personified and, and uh, anime I anime guess. Yeah, yeah like that but also just I guess all the kind of um, spiritual aspects of it as well um, and folklore, I love all the kind of old traditional stories, not just from Asian cultures, but everywhere. There's mm. something just so special about um, that kind of old wisdom and old wives' tales, and I love it. I find it so fascinating mm. and feeding that into your work. But, yeah, I suppose I paint lots of dragons and just even the colours um, and the aesthetic. It feels kind of... Mm. And even the use yeah. of ink with yeah. the brush. Yep. Has that sort of Japanese connection in a yeah, way? Yeah, it does. Yeah, interesting. So back to the Bergman Gallery. Mm. What have you got planned for twenty twenty four with them? Well, at the moment, the Auckland Art Fair is the next thing on the cards. That's in April, and then probably a show later on in the year, but not a confirmed date yet. Mm -hmm. A solo show? Ah, uh, yes. So I think because the gallery is sort of like two big rooms, I think we're planning to do like. Two, two solo shows coinciding next mm, to each other. Nice. Yeah, which would be lovely. And having the gallery there, is that is that encouraging you, do you think, to go this slightly different way and to move through this transition? Or do you feel like it might actually make you think maybe I need to kind of stick with some of the, the work that I have been doing? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. So the work that I'm making for the art fair – that I'm currently working on, I desperately want to do something wild and different, but I know that I don't I don't have the time right now to to go down that path. So I'm yeah, it's sort of similar to the work I've been making in the last year. So mm. the art fair work will be um yeah, similar to what's been happening already. Mm. But hopefully the next show I'll have space between then to yes. experiment and maybe do something a little bit different. And with this residency that you're going to find. Yes. Well, I need to like investigate. I've seen some that you can do with your family, which could be good or it could be. <laughs> could be bad. <laughs> could be really bad. <laughs> yeah. That could add another element. I think it's why I need to do the residencies yes, to get exactly. away from them all. <laughs> yeah. And to sort of change that yeah. um, routine that you get into with family life. Yes. Yeah. My friend um, Tiffany Singh She's an incredible artist, and she has two little babies basically the same age as my girls. Well, they're not babies anymore. Um, but she's done quite a few family residencies, and I found that so inspiring. Mm. 
So, yeah. I don't know. Look into it. That's great. I I talked to Tiffany on the podcast. Have you? Oh, good. No, yes. I haven't listened. Yes, to it. you have to have a listen. <gasps> I will. Yeah, she's amazing. She's really so inspiring amazing. person. Yeah. We talked about earlier uh, your connection to commercial, the commercial side of your practice, and you have been amazing with that, and you know, very successful, and. You've done a lot of collaborations with um, big brands like New Balance and Baby G, Casio mm-hmm. and Telecom and Serato and mm-hmm. even Anna Sui of New York, yes. which is incredible. Yep. So um, <clears throat> I'd love to hear more about that idea of collaborating, an artist collaborating with a brand, how you made that happen and um, and what came of that. Um, okay. <laughs> well... I think that, um, you know, one artist that comes to mind when I think about mixing fine art with commercial product is Takashi Murakami. Do you know his work? No. So if, oh, do you know the Louis Vuitton bags with the little flower symbols? Yeah. So those are his characters. And uh, in the Queensland Art Gallery, I think they have the Asia Pacific Triennial Exhibition. And I remember going to the Queensland Art Gallery when I was 14 years old and it was the first time I'd seen his work and he had this enormous, giant, um, inflated mouse head in the middle of the gallery and I was just blown away, absolutely loved it. So um, I've always followed his work and I think he's a really great example of bridging commercial product with fine art. Um, so it has always, I think that inspired me a lot and probably through doing the clothing label and Misery becoming a brand, it was just sort of already happening. Um, yeah, so I've been lucky to make some really beautiful collaborations with other brands that I really admire. And I think that um, that's the ticket is just making sure they align with who you are and your values. And, you know, you just, you're not putting it on like a McDonald's label or something that like yeah. has to really connect with what you're about. And, um, yeah, so I've been really lucky to do some beautiful collaborations in the last little while. I did have done two blunt umbrellas, which have been wonderful. They're a great example of um, a brand that I feel really connects with what I'm about to. New mm. Zealand brand, just doing so well in the world and um, excellent design, great quality, beautiful. So I don't know, I don't want to do heaps of them <laughs> yeah. but when the right one comes along yeah. I think it's nice to sometimes and, and it's how, also another way for people to know your work you know yeah. they might not be into art or understand art or how to find you otherwise that's right yeah, yeah. it becomes more accessible to sort of greater communities I guess yes and how do you actually how do they find you how, or how do you find them well I think that you just do your thing <laughs> And I think nowadays, now that there's like social media and everything's plastered all over the internet, like there's always people scouting for um, interesting artists to collaborate with. So I don't know, I think I've just learnt not to, it's taken me a long time, but not to adapt too much, not to, to change my shape to fit into someone else's form, just like do what you do and then if people love that, then they will come to you. Mm. So people have just out of the blue, messaged you. Yeah. That must be so amazing. It is amazing. I think that's a very cool thing about being an artist in New Zealand, though, too, because we're quite a little little place, you know, like 
big enough but small enough to be noticed. Mm. But well. you're being noticed by international brands as well. I mean, is it that you are amazing with your social media and getting your product out there or your work out there? Or is it just purely they love your work? I think that a lot of those international ones have just come through um, travel and connecting with people. And it's interesting, like sometimes you'll you'll go off to do something and later on down the track, something else will happen from that, even if you hadn't intended it to. But just interacting with people, all those things count, I think, mm. like sometimes in my life if I feel like oh you know it's not going the way I'm wanting right now I'm not making enough art or and I'm doing other things they always seem to come back to something positive mm. later on anyway yeah it's interesting I guess it's just like trusting in in that <laughs> yeah it's just part of the process I guess yeah. and being patient but I mean it is amazing for most of us it, it feels like something that is quite unachievable to make those kind of connections and have those kind of brands, you know, yeah. working with them. That might be the beauty of that art scene as well and that whole sort of doing it yourself outside of the fine art world and um, especially with sort of graffiti stuff and travelling to do mural festivals or um, through the clothing, I suppose, travelling to do exhibit and stuff like that. You just sort of meet other people and... I don't know. Mm. It's quite cool. And I think also in New Zealand, because we're so far away from the rest of the world, you kind of become quite good at um, starting things and do doing it yourself a little mm. bit. I think yeah. you're a bit more driven. And it's that succeed. sort of Kiwi mentality as well. Yeah. But it's so, also so important to travel. Like I really yeah. definitely know that. And so many of those things wouldn't have been able to happen if I hadn't been able to do that so mm. I feel very very lucky so that's so good and, and is that part of your sort of TMD community of, of graffiti artists is that where the travel opportunities um, started some of it has like definitely later um, later on like being able to go to Hawaii and do the powwow festival which is just such a beautiful festival it's a really amazing thing to be a part of um, yeah and it's just so nice to be in this hub of artists that do similar things to you but from all over the world um that's been a great way to connect. Mm, yeah, it would be. And then you have shown your work in places like Paris and, you know. Yes. How, how, how? So oh, the Paris one came through also through Graffiti, another artist that I know um, who was with a gallery in Paris and she invited me to exhibit there. So, this, mm. yeah, it's wonderful. Mm. It's just having those connections, isn't it? Mm -hmm. so, so, I mean, what would your advice be to people listening on how to sort of get out there and how to make those connections um well i think it's easier in some ways now because of instagram and everyone's on there so i think just be productive and proactive and get all your work out there but also write to other like message other artists that you admire just connect with them that's something i used to do like before Instagram, like even just I'd send other artists that I really admire, I'd write them a little note, a little letter and write, make them a picture and just send it because it's special. Mm. Even now if I get like a little um, message like that, it means so much to me. Mm. It's like, oh, like, you know, I'm doing something that's worth something. Like people like um, admiring that and it's making them feel good. So it, it is, it's really special. I think connection and yeah. grabbing opportunities and not being afraid to just get out there and mm. communicate share your ideas and looking at what's out there like what festivals and 
that you could be a part of. But then it is hard. It's often expensive for New Zealanders to it travel. Yeah. So that can be a problem for some people. Definitely. It's a really good point, especially now. So expensive to travel. Yeah. It's a tricky one. I think there's there's a lot of artists in New Zealand who haven't really managed to get out of New Zealand, you know, and I know there's people who, who want to and it's one of their kind of goals for the future, but I think it's quite hard to just make that move to become more international. Yeah. Then just take, I think, just take the steps here, like get seen here and then I think it's a natural progression. Mm. But there's like lots of um, even not serious art shows, but like festivals or um, lots of public art things that you can be a part of. It's all just getting out there, I think, mm. showing the world what you do. And I think that street art mural community is so strong that that's a great sort of a great conduit in a way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they used to be, it used to be competitive. But <laughs> <laughs> now it just seems amazing. You know, people like Cal... Sunshine, who I yes. talk to, and you know, She's Stephen Templer, so well. amazing artists who are so supportive of each other and so mm-hmm. generous. Yep. Yeah. It's really lovely. It's really lovely. Oh, that's very exciting that you've done work like that. And how did you actually um, come up with the design for something like the Blunt Umbrellas? Um, the first one, I think it was a very open brief. So I just thought water and goldfish i love i love those aranda goldfish the really chubby (laughs) chubby ones um so i just wanted to paint those and it had a very um chinese vibe as well yes that one's all goldfish and fans and then the next one which is also very chinese (laughs) was for the chinese new lunar new year of the rabbit so that was released last year so that was water rabbit year so it was just bunnies and beautiful flowing rivers and lotus flowers Mm, yes, they're such so a joy beautiful. to work on because they're, they're just fun. Yeah. And it's nice um, thinking about how your work is going to fit on an odd shape sometimes, mm. like just taking it out of context. Yeah. And the first one I did, it took me so long. I was cutting out like these triangle-shaped panels and trying to fit all the stuff on. <laughs> it was a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> but it all came together. Yeah. And for that process, do you make a design on the computer to – fit the umbrella yes the second or both of them in the end i ended up just making the characters like palm size and then scanning them and then spending time laying them out rather than the other way around Mm. it's just it's a real headache yeah i can imagine and what was the work that you did with new balance uh no work with new balance i was just like a sort of brand ambassador for them okay yeah so you it was like sponsored yeah ah that's pretty cool so great (laughs) free speakers (laughs) yes i love it why did they come to you oh i'm not sure i guess because of the genre of work i do or something Mm. or maybe because i'm a female you know like i don't i'm not sure it's there's not a huge amount there is getting more women now but there hasn't in the past been a huge amount of women doing um graffiti or street Mm. not that that's like i know sometimes i feel like i get very boxed into that and i've always felt like that's something i do but it's not the only thing i do like it's i feel like it's quite broad and i'm still discovering it Mm, totally (laughs) very much so yeah Um, that's really interesting yeah, but it's funny because I guess people also assume that if you do graffiti art, you must be into like hip hop culture and all the things, 
which I've kind of always been on the outside of that too. I admire it. I love it. I love being a part of it. But I don't know, quite um, like I love like community is so much, has so much um, good. And I feel like that really fuels me, but I've also feel very solo <laughs> and I'm always a little bit on the outside. I mm. like my own time and I'm quite introverted mm. in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it is great that you can honor that side of your personality as well. Yeah, it is great. Mm. Yeah. And you also had another commercial venture with Misery Guts, which was like a yeah. children's retail kind of design store. That's right. Yeah. So that's I run that with my friend Shelley Robinson, and we actually met through doing a beautiful um, charity workshop up in Mesot, which is a little town on the border of Burma and Thailand. Shelley had been working for a um, charity called Spinning Top, um, and they were sending artists up to this school up in Mesot to do workshops and teach these kids that were from Burma but had to leave their homeland because of all the war and trouble happening in there. So it was a really special project going up there and working with these children and doing all these art workshops. Um, and through meeting Shelley, I'd been thinking about um, making a little kids design brand, like just quite cool, fun artwork for kids' rooms. And she had also wanted to do a storybook. So we started to collaborate and developed Misery Guts. Um, and it, we just started that about 10 years ago now. It's been going for quite a long time. But through that time, we've she had just had young children and I had my two girls. So a lot has changed and happened. It's, it's sort of found its own rhythm mm. where it kind of just continues on now and we're um, not super involved on a day-to-day -day basis, which has actually been quite good <laughs> for mm. me. Just life is so busy mm. running a family and then trying to find some time to to be an artist amongst that as well. Yeah. yeah. But that is amazing. And that was, um, that was again using your characters, wasn't it? And sort of. Yeah. So we started off, we had this vision to kind of create these um, room decorations and kids' artwork, but all sort of fair trade made or as much made in New Zealand as possible. Yeah. So we've done a lot of felt products. It's New Zealand wool and it's um, made in. Nepal. I don't know how that works, but the New Zealand will get sent there and they um, saw fair trade made and it's just beautiful quality. Mm. So we make these felt cushions and um, tush kush. Tush kush, yep. And, Love those. And some lovely artwork and kids' decorations. Mm. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it feels like that's sort of just ticking along now. It's not your main focus, but it could al always be something that you dip back into. It could, absolutely. If you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great experience creating something like that. You know, then could sort of divide and, you know, be other things That's in right. the future, which is quite good. It is good. I've always found it, like, kind of nice to make big, expensive artworks, but also have products or mm. prints or something that, Mm. Um, are a little bit easier for people to afford and have in their homes. Yeah. So that's a nice thing to do too. Having that variety. Yeah. So we haven't actually talked about your process. Uh, do we want to talk about this? Sure. Okay. I'd be very interested. <laughs> so let's um, think about maybe the first two or three paintings that we have on your blog post. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk to us about, you know, how you get started and and – your process throughout. Yeah. Okay. So I generally always get started by drawing. That's 
I generally always get started by um, drawing. So forever I've always had my trusty sketchbook and that's something I can just come back to if I'm feeling stuck. Um, and it's just a lovely way of getting ideas out without the pressure of like, I have to make this fantastic <laughs> painting, what's it going to be? Um, and yeah, it's it's a very fluid just relaxing process of drawing in the sketchbook and I always come back to those if I'm feeling stuck in a work like oh something needs to go in here and I'm not sure what and I'll just go through my drawings and then often there'll be something in there that I'm like that's what it is that needs to come in so always start with drawing and then I'll have maybe a loose um, concept for the show um, and sometimes not sometimes it just comes together and I make one painting and that's going to determine what the whole show is in fact, that's usually <laughs> how it works, and I think that's a time factor thing. So I'll just start with one canvas. At the moment, I'm so into um, painting just the backgrounds, and I get to the point where I'm like, I'm so happy doing this, and I could maybe just not do any characters on it, and it would feel good. Wow. <laughs> so I think that it won't be like the final direction, but I think that that's where I'm feeling of like really – focusing more on the background and just the colors and the um, way the paint moves and then putting some character elements into it but they won't be the main focus perhaps mm. Mm. just softer and more spacious maybe <laughs> lovely we'll see so yeah the process usually starts with me painting the backgrounds and then I use a chalk pastel and I loosely sketch out the composition of where the characters are going to be and then I um, paint the character shapes with a flat color and then it's a lot of layering um and then the line work last mm. and then usually some washes over the top of that mm. and you are you using oils i use acrylics. acrylics i've just started playing with those um water-based oils which is super fun too mm. and yeah. they've got the same sort of qualities as they acrylic. do yeah yeah that would be interesting yeah, it's they're lovely to work on. I think I've always steered away from oils because I change my mind a lot and um, I'm also quite impatient. <laughs> yeah, so many people say that. <laughs> the non-oil painters yeah. always say that. Like yeah. I always have my hairdryer on hand. Like, <laughs> I'm going to dry this and I'm going to paint over it. Um, that's another one of my main tools, my hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> and the line work at the end, um, is that with a, a soft brush um, that feels it does have that sort of I just cali use, calligraphy feel. Um, like a either zero, one, two, or three brush, and just those cheap green ones from the art store, the Da Vinci mm. ones, because mm. I just I go through them, but um, they work for me. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so and I what is those. the ink? Um, I've been using the golden. Um, it's an acrylic, but it sort of moves like ink. I use that a lot, and I've always used India ink forever. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm also really feeling like moving away from line work. <laughs> so mm. that will be interesting too because that's so, um, I guess, iconic to my style is that line work. Yeah, but and the know, black. I feel like I'm just maturing <laughs> a little bit my from the style. <laughs> wow. So we'll see what happens. That is fascinating. I can't wait to see <laughs> where you go with this. Me too. Yeah, and other, how it feels for you. The other thing I should probably mention with my process is, which I do need to change this way I work, but I generally work under pressure, which isn't healthy. I really need to change that. And I kind of just spend 
three or four weeks in my room with not a lot of sleep and I it's it's a crazy process <laughs> mm. um I just get in there and I'm it's just me and the paintings and it's great and I just feel like they all communicate with each other and this beautiful flow starts happening but I need to really figure out how to integrate that into just a daily practice rather than lumping it all into a short space of mm. time because it becomes quite it's almost quite ritualistic and you kind of feel I don't know <laughs> Like you're in another place when it's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's almost like a little bit hallucinating or Yeah, something. it's a real <laughs> environment that you put yourself in. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, just sometimes that's how people work. I think so. Well, I think also to, since having children, it, it's become very much that way. Mm. And, um, you know, gone are the days of being able to stay up all night and just make something so... Often when it comes down to crunch time, I do have to work like that, but I'm significantly trying to change the way I yeah. <laughs> produce work now. <laughs> and do you enjoy having that deadline or, you know, sort of things through your year that you're that you're working towards? Um, yeah, I do need deadlines very much and I do like that. I like to know I've got these three major things happen- mm. happening throughout the year, but I really struggle to start work early it's not usually till oh there's not much time now I've really got to get yeah, into that yeah and how do you it's work hard. your day or well, your week how does how how does your week look in general you know juggling being a busy mum and um all the amazing things that you do um well my husband Tom who's an amazing support person to me <laughs> and always I guess knows me so well and sees my whole practice and he's a very sort of black and white kind of guy so he's like right you just need to drop the girls at school come home and then treat it like a job like put your phone away that's such a insanely terrible distraction Mm. we're reading that book about quitting breaking up with your phone at the moment so helpful um yeah get rid of all the distraction and then just be in that room from Mm. 9am till 2.30 treat it like a job yeah so I've, I found it really hard but I'm starting to learn <laughs> it is hard isn't it it's so difficult yeah it's because there's always one. things to do and also mm. working from home I'm like oh I'll just do the kitchen or do some mm. washing and then I'll go make art but it's very I find it hard to transition from being a, a mum and looking after our home and then doing some emails and then switching on creative brain it's mm. really hard and sometimes um it's not there like and I think at that point, I'm lucky because I've actually got a beautiful garden studio like you've got here, and I love gardening. And that's sort of another big creative um, release for me. So I'm, I love just being able to pop out there, do some gardening or yeah. drawing or something, and often that will really help when you yeah. come back into the studio. That, yeah, re- resets. Yeah. That's a hard one, isn't it, juggling the week? And I, I, I don't allow myself to garden during the week because I feel like it's too – much of an indulgence do you yeah I save it for the weekend because then I feel like it's you know I should be working during the week um and when you're self-interesting when you're self-employed it's Mm -hmm. like I have got really good at um thinking some days actually I can take time out now because I'm up to date I've done everything I needed to do and I might go and maybe meet a friend for coffee I kind of allow myself that, but for some reason gardening, 
is just too much of a treat. I feel like it's a luxury or something. Yeah. That's Even so same with reading a book. Yes. I'm very much like that with reading books too. I yeah. can't really do it unless I'm on like a holiday On holiday. Beach. I yep. know. I'm the same. I love it when you've got so much time that you can just dive into that book and just read and read and read. And that's oh, when I love best. reading. It's but I don't best. like taking little snippets of, of reading. No, I'm the same. Yeah. It's really interesting, the stuff that we put ourselves through. And, you know, sometimes it's we're not being fair on ourselves, really. And it's just we're asking too much of ourselves, you know. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Mm. And it's a lot of sort of mind stuff. It's in your own head. You mm. know, often it actually wouldn't make any difference to anything if you, say, went into the garden. But in your own head, you're thinking, I can't justify that because blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. You know? To learn to rewire it. I think when I go into the garden, like I won't do anything <laughs> massive, but I'll maybe pluck some weeds or I find it really grounding. Mm. And it's also, it kind of gives me this um, line of focus. Like it's quite meditative. Mm. And so my brain stops fluttering around like, oh, I've got to do all these other things and do emails and go pack some orders or whatever. Or driving at this thing, I just am immediately calmed and focused and mm. then I can kind of go back in and yeah it's quite something. sort of a, it's a very mindful activity isn't it, it is yeah. yeah it's beautiful I love it I think so it's important much. to have when your job is doing something creative to have other creative things in your life that aren't mm. making art like yeah. gardening I love um, cooking massive our whole family are really into food and cooking so I find that really create like a good creative release as well yeah Totally. And you can kind of lose yourself, which is good, and sort of let your mind head off and wherever when you're gardening or doing those kind of activities. You know, yeah. it's quite, yeah, It's and that probably in turn is good for your practice because you're processing some of that creative stuff that you need to kind of work through. Absolutely. And then you're ready to go back to your work. Yeah. And it's also, I think it's kind of inspiring for me because so much of the paintings I make at the moment are related to plants and Mostly about gardens. I guess that's just because what's around me every day. Mm. But that's quite inspiring too. Mm. Yeah, and you showed me photos of your beautiful tropical garden with your banana palms and other amazing things. And, yeah, we're very lucky here in New Zealand, aren't we? We're so lucky. The gardens, well, most stuff grows in Auckland anyway. Yeah. So the world is your oyster. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's good for gardening types to be listening to us talking about gardening, but it might not be yeah, sorry, so everybody interesting else. <laughs> for other people. But I do find quite a few of my guests have been into gardening, which is interesting. Anyway, um, moving on, out of the garden, can we just go back to 2015 where you collaborated with John Oz yes. and made very beautiful bronze sculptures for K Road? Yeah. Yeah, how did that come about um so that was through Auckland City Council and I saw a um an email pop up about expressions of interest to create a children's playground actually for kids living in the inner city traveling to school and they wanted to sort of create these spaces where children could have something fun and childlike and playful in these quite urban um centers so I put together a proposal to make these kind of quite fun misery land playgrounds. I thought this was an excellent um, concept and so fun. I was like, yes, I'm, I'm such a child. 
like this is so fun, like a dream job for me. So I put that together and it came down between me, my proposal and um, Pack Studios who are architects, but they'd made this amazing rainbow light machine. So they got the two of us and then through that process, the brief change to being an art sculpture instead, which was fine. So at that point I was like, okay, I think that I'm – I want to make bronzes because I was like, what's going to like last forever? And, you know, with doing murals and stuff, they don't last forever. It's mm. quite temporary. But I was like, well, what a beautiful idea to have these bronzes, um, especially at K-Road because that's been like part of my life since we've lived in New Zealand. My mum is a costume designer, worked for the Auckland Christmas Parade, so it was always based around there. So I've spent lots of time around K-Road. Um, and obviously like all my graffiti and street stuff sort of started around there. So it felt very honoured to be a able to have these two pieces at K-Road. So I had to do a little bit of research around. Um, they wanted um, the characters or the sculptures to relate back to the area. So the one with the elephant is about, um, I can't remember what year it would have been, maybe 50s. When did the song The Twist come out? Is that like 50s? Probably 50s, like yeah, or 60s. Yeah. yeah, so when George Court was like a department store, they had a rooftop garden that in the um, summer holidays would become a circus up there on the roof and a family friend of Tom's used to work in there as a teenager and one of his first jobs was um, taking this elephant a baby elephant up and down the elevator shaft to the rooftop really for all these children to see and they put on the radio uh and listen to the twist and the elephant would kind of like rock around oh my god like, this is such a bizarre thing to happen <laughs> on the roof like so unkosher like yeah but i kind of thought it was comical and lovely at the same time so that's what that piece is about a little girl playing with dancing with her elephant uh, the other one is um, a little Asian boy having a sort of a, a fight over a radish with a piglet, and that's from very, very early days of Karangahapi Road was all farmlands and um, lots of Chinese grocers up there, and they'd have issues with livestock coming and stealing the <laughs> vegetables off the front shelves. So I don't know. They're just very oh, simple, cute little – little stories of yeah. how K-Road once was many, mm. many years ago, so different to how it is now. That is really but, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's super love lovely that. seeing yeah. children interact with them. Yeah, and they're kind of child size. They, they? are, yeah. It's Which is nice. So fun. And actually because we have our tattoo studio on Cross Street, my husband's a tattooer, and we have Sunset Tattoo, so Tom's around there all the time, and he's actually made this amazing <laughs> sort of photo documentation of all the different situations of these bronzes with all different kinds of funny outfits. There's one K-Road local character and she just, it's almost like she treats them like a shrine, particularly the boy in the radish one, and she'll come and dress him up, put beanies on him in her bra sometimes really? and lay out a little platter like snacks and stuff and hang out with them it's beautiful oh my god so all kinds of funny situations but it's such a nice photo story of all amazing. the all the different interactions so it's not just children that um that interact that enjoy it yeah and um i mean that would be a beautiful thing for you to look at with your photography wouldn't it yeah it would be and you can imagine it as a as a short film yes creating something 
around those sculptures. You could. It'd be really cool. Beautiful. And they're still there eight years later. And being bronze, they will be there for a long time, hopefully. The process of making them was really, really fun for me too because I have been always such a sort of 2D artist. Um, So for this piece, I asked my friend John Osborne, or John Oz, as he's known to um, help me out with these. So he's a set props designer for film and that's how I knew him was like kind of working with him on the odd art department job and he'd made some sculptured head molds for me before so I said do you think you'd be able to help me develop these in bronze like I've never learned how to do that so the whole process was just so fascinating to learn and it's definitely something I'd love to um, look at doing more of. Mm, I can see you doing more of that. I think I do them so differently now too it's funny how you like grow and change in quite a short space mm, of time what would be different um i think i'd again probably do something more simple but bigger and bolder and maybe colorful i really love um like those jeff coons really super shiny spun aluminium balloon dogs like i don't know something mm. that you just see from miles away and be like what's that yeah <laughs> take me to it now yeah just before i did that commission Tom and I had got married actually and we were traveling around Europe and that was actually incredible timing because there's just so much public art everywhere. Mm. It made me feel a bit sad for New Zealand, like this is really something we've got to work on because I just do. I think it's so important. It's so inspiring and I don't know, what a wonderful way to exist, like being mm-hmm. around work like that or yeah. going to parks that are dedicated to sculpture art. Mm. So cool. Yeah, and some of those, like that beautiful um, large boy, I think it's, is it Balmoral Road or Dominion yes. Road? Potter's Park. Yeah, that is incredible. And I'm sure, you know, the beauty the beauty of public art is, is the way everybody can connect and engage. Yeah. You know, it's so sort of accessible. Yep, it is. And, yeah, I love this. I love the sound of... of misery large sculptures around New Zealand yeah yeah I've always thought that one day if I had oodles of money to spend on this I'd love to just get a whole lot of land and then make my own sculpture park not just with my work with just curated and Mm. have this amazing public space where people can come in yeah like the Alan Alan Gibbs like Alan Gibbs I think that's very exclusive and you can only get invited to do that Mm. maybe once a year or something yeah. So maybe a little bit more accessible. Yes. And wouldn't it be great if it was a almost like a sort of sculpture park where children were encouraged to play and interact with work yeah. at the same time? It would be wonderful. Oh, my God. I maybe love that idea. Maybe you could stay there too, like camp or like mm. some sort of yeah, mm. place where you could soak it all in. We need to find a good sponsor. Yeah. Make it do. happen. <laughs> Anyone listening, interested, get in touch. <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? It would be wonderful. Okay, so Tanya, let's get on to the questions for you. What would you say to your younger artistic self? Um, I think that I would probably tell myself to um, not be afraid to to just get weird, (laughs) just to really not be so self-conscious. I mean, it's so hard to say because when you're, you're your younger self, there's so much learning and discovering of who you are, but I think I'd probably just tell myself to really believe in myself more and it's okay not to uh, conform to being a certain way like be as weird as possible (laughs) and by doing that um, by being your true self and expressing yourself in that way that's what will draw others to you I think 
think there's been lots of times where back then I was obviously like a lot younger and self-conscious and probably just jumping on all kinds of opportunities, which is really wonderful. But I think learning and knowing to say no to the ones that don't fit with who you are is really important. Um, yeah. So I think backing myself and really trusting in being an art- artist and making art, mm. trusting in that creativity and not feeling like I need to do something else to be an artist. And what would you say is one of your biggest challenges as an artist? Who? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, structure for me is massive. Um, motherhood is really challenging, finding the space and time and prioritizing creativity is hugely challenging for me. I'm getting better at it. Um, but yeah, probably process is very um frustrating for me sometimes you just want it to work and and I have to accept that sometimes it doesn't (laughs) Mm. and that's okay that's just all part of it so um yeah part of the journey part of the journey and who are the artists who inspire you in your work well, that's a really tricky question because there's so, so many. But at the moment, I'm really obsessed with this um, beautiful artist called Miriam Khan. Have you seen her work? No. She's a Swiss artist. And she's, I think she was born around the 40s and she does um, these amazing sort of like abstract, they're usually portraits, but sometimes they can be like animals or something. And they're, they're quite like raw, very feminist, but they can also be quite like, sexual and violent but for some reason they still look very beautiful she uses like incredible color and they're very like intense and um quite ethereal looking very very cool I feel very very drawn to her style at the moment and um I think just her her use of color and the simplicity thing as well I love them I think they're wonderful I'd love to see some in real life so definitely Miriam Khan um, and then this other artist I've come across just through Instagram, her name's Ray Klein, and she's from the States, and she just paints oh, – I brought one of her pictures to show you. She paints these, like, very <laughs> – Wow. <laughs> cool, aren't they? Yes. Um, they're quite haunting, ethereal, almost surrealist, like, sort of portraits and still lives. Mm. I just think they're magical, and I adore them. I think she's such a great painter. It's also, it's so ad- admirable to see young artists with such incredible talent. Yeah, it's just like wow. I saw on your on your Instagram that there was sort of you were exploring portraiture in a way that had more similarity oh, to that with the watercolors. Yeah, that's just been so liberating for me. I think like being able to make some work that's just so fun and uh, fast paced yes, as well, and, and quite different style. Quite to different. Usual. It's definitely that that. The, that thing I was t- talking about, like some different kind of direction, mm. um, and not. I think it's being able to lose control as well. And it, I love that about the watercolor, like putting heaps of water, and then mm. you're kind of making a shape, but it's sort of uncontrollable yeah. how it's going to turn out. So um, yeah, she's wonderful. I love her, and then I'd also put my dearest friend Hannah Maurice, who her and I've done quite a bit of work together, and Hannah's sort of like my art soul sister I suppose we have a very twin like energy when we're together and very sort of um 
playful. It's like hanging out with your your best childhood friend and you're like still five. <laughs> That's what it's like being with Hannah. But she's just such an inspiration and an incredible painter and mm-hmm. maker. She's a beautiful ceramic artist as well. So um, Hannah Maurice, her Instagram is Honeymoon Sea Studio. She makes divine work. Hugely inspirational for me. And we might have to get her onto the podcast. You must get her onto the podcast. She's wonderful. And then lastly, I put down um, a dear family friend of ours, Peter Hawksby, who's the most incredible ceramic artist. And he used to own Alleluia Cafe in St. Kevin's Arcade. So um, when he was a young man, he lived in Japan and he learned ceramics and also all these incredible uh, Japanese glazes and he's just so knowledgeable and then he came back and he did Alleluia for a long time (laughs) and kind of put um, his ceramic work on the back burner but as soon as he closed the cafe he went straight back into it and it's like he'd never stopped it's like he'd just been building this exquisite library of all these beautiful concepts and Mm. ideas and he's just it's so nice it's so nice to go to one of his shows and it just it gives you such um, drive. I think mm. it's beautiful. Wow, yeah, he's I'll incredibly skilled. Sounds amazing, and that was such a fantastic cafe, wasn't it? It was so good and such an important cafe for so many artists too. And he used to mm. show a lot of us back there, Kate Newby and Seung Oh, and heaps of us. That's where we did our first illicit group, group shows, and my first solo shows were in his cafe as well. So it's. Um, been such an important space yeah. and sad it doesn't exist anymore. It is a shame. It's quite an I- iconic sort of Auckland space, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. As is St Kevin's Arcade. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely, yeah. And just um, speaking about people who inspire you, you speak very fondly about your lovely husband Tom. Or yes. Tom Tom, yep. you call him, which I love. Tom Tom. <laughs> love that name. And uh I mean, artistically, he must inspire you a lot as, you know, being a tattoo artist and I guess an illustrator. Yes, he's he's such an amazing husband and friend and um, rock <laughs> in my life. Like, I think Tom and also my sister Meg, they're both like my grounding rock people and I need that because I get very floaty and distracted and up in the air. But he is, and also his... Um, his specialty in tattooing is Japanese tattooing. So yeah. it's cool if we really connect on that. And, and was that the way you connected originally through your um, art? It was through tattooing. I used to work at sometimes just occasionally on the tattoo desk at the Tattooed Heart on K Road. Um, and when the tattoo shop was in Illicit, so I kind of knew him from then. And, and it's just K Road in Auckland, so we kind of knew each other mm. from around um, yeah, but we sort of became friends through we got commissioned uh, by Carl Stevens to do some stage dressing for the APRA Music Awards and that was just such a beautiful creative collaboration. So we did all the set dressing through that and that's how we kind of connected and became friends. But um, we went together till much later after mm. that and we, yeah, we sort of connected through the tattoo shop, I suppose. And you've got some beautiful tattoos. Has he, has he tattooed He's done some you? of them. I think because... He's my husband. It seems to be more painful <laughs> when he does it. And also, you know, he needs to, like, tattoo people that he'll actually be paid from probably, yeah, not true. me all the time. <laughs> but he's so done true. some of them for sure. Oh, and, yeah, amazing. it is It's so lovely having him around and um, being able to be inspired by each other. Mm. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it's it, really to have cool. that connection yeah. creatively. 
Yeah, and I'm very lucky. He's very sort of business-like and he's got a very – he's very talented at it. Never went to school or anything to learn about it, but it's just in his nature, I think. Mm. So that's great for me because I'm not like that at all. Yeah, that's good. It's always good when you have somebody like that <laughs> yeah. backing you up. 100%. And uh, sorry to interrupt your answers to your questions with that. Okay. Um, and last question, why do you make the kind of work you make? Um, why do I make the kind of work I make? I guess it's just sort of a reflection of what's happening in my life. But it's also... I think I really like creating these worlds or images that um, are very playful and fun and not too serious and that people can really just fall into and fall in love with. I love them being very festive and they can be quite dark and have dark humour, but there's something still quite joyful and fun and inspiring within that. Um, I was going to say earlier that I think that from mum doing costuming as well. That's such a huge influence um, through the work I do. Like I've always been really into dressing things up or making costumes or, um, yeah, these characters with funny outfits and kind of doing weird rituals and stuff like that. It's all quite in there. So, yeah, creating these environments or worlds that people can just kind of fall into, like watching a movie when you get taken into that or reading a book like we're speaking about before and you just fall into it I think I'm always trying to recreate that like what would it be like to pop in here and how does that make you feel and just lifting the vibration for people coming to a show or experiencing some art and then leaving and just feeling super joyful and like wow like I've just been on a trip somewhere yeah I think I'm always trying to get to that place oh I love that that's really beautiful (laughs) well it's lovely to have you out at Murawai and to bring you back to a happy place for yeah. you. And uh, it's so nice to chat and connect. And um, I think your work does that. It brings that joy to people. But I think you do as well as a person. Thank you, Mandy. That's such a beautiful compliment. <laughs> and I wish you a very happy 2024 ahead. I think it's going to be a really exciting time. <gasps> yeah, I'm excited. <gasps> and uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.